We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show episode. I don't know the number because we've been doing so many damn things on this feed over the last week. Um, I just realized as I was saying that, I don't know what number we're on because the last couple days we released the intro episode and episode number one of George's Box, which is the new podcast with JJ from the Bronx and Keith McPherson. Um, Hope you guys have listened to it. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. I've listened to both episodes, and I think I think it's a great start. I'm so excited for their podcast this season um, and where they're going to take it. When we were in Tampa, uh, a few people asked, you know, why are you guys releasing another Yankees podcast? What's going to be different about George's Box and the the current Bronx Pinstripe show that Scott and I have been doing for four years? We're at over 300 episodes. And I think uh, the guys said this on one of their intro episodes that, you know, Scott and I are diehard fans, 
but we are also into the more uh, in-depth baseball analysis, the the sabermetrics, the um, you know we, we'll talk about spin rate, we'll talk about zips projections. We're gonna break down an Aaron Boone bullpen decision forever, and that's not gonna change. And that's just who we are as fans. That's who um, I'm always gonna be as a fan. I, I'm always going to harp on those sorts of things, and I always want to learn more about baseball. And, you know, I, wa- I want to, I- I've learned a lot from this podcast, from doing this podcast about advanced metrics. When we started it four years ago, I mean, I knew of sabermetrics, but I mean, sabermetrics to me at that time was war. And now over doing the, the, uh, the over 300 shows, I-, I would like to think I know a little bit more about all those, those stats and the podcast, uh, educating ourselves has, has been able to do that. And we're still not afraid to give our, our fan takes and our, our, fan take hot reactions and yell about something and complain about Sonny Gray pissing us off or gush over Aaron Judge, you know, being the leader of the team in the face of the franchise. We're still going to do all that stuff. Uh, The guys at George's Box are going to give you just a different take on things. They're going to, um, you know, as they said, both of them are uh, come from different backgrounds. I think um, both are very funny, personable and good on a mic. So, it's all good. It's going to be different. It's going to complement each other very nicely. It's going to be like two sides of a coin. It's going to work nicely all season. Um, their next episode, which will be released the Wednesday before opening day, is going to be on their own new feed. So um, make sure you guys subscribe to that. It is not up yet. We're going to let you know when it is up so you guys can subscribe and do all the, the rating and reviews and all that kind of stuff that you guys have been doing for us, which, as you know, helps us out very much. So today's episode, um, we're going to be previewing the Tampa Rays 2019 season. I spoke with Neil Salons. He does pre and post game for Rays baseball. He's actually been on the podcast each of the last two seasons. So this is his third year. He's going to be on our podcast previewing the Rays. Um, A lot of interesting stuff that I talked to him about. Not going to spoil any of it. We did about 20 to 25 minutes, so hope you enjoy it. And we're going to be releasing a team preview leading up to opening day. Um, I believe tomorrow, Friday, will be the Red Sox preview, and then next week, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to be releasing the Blue Jays and the Orioles preview, so stay tuned for those, and we're also going to be doing our regular episodes um, next week, Monday and Thursday, since it is opening week, we're moving back to twice a week, Um, so very exciting, a lot of stuff going on with uh, Bronx Pinstripes. Enjoy the Rays preview episode. I'm as free as Andy Dufresne was standing in the rain After escaping Shawshank coming out to drain these days you ain't holding me back I'm flowing these raps The pain it ain't a thing When the music in my brain I maintain Joining me on the podcast now is Neil Salon He is the pre and post game uh, radio host for the Rays Baseball And Neil, this is the third year in a row you've been on the podcast to preview the Rays So welcome back You got it, thanks for having me when you were on last year, it was like this exact week, and it was the last you know last couple of days of spring training. You were very high on the Rays, and I did not buy in. I did not believe you, and I don't think a lot of people thought the Rays were going to have a good season. And you know, you know, maybe you were just being positive. You're very close to the team, and that's totally understandable. That's what I thought it was. But they scratched and clawed their way to 90 wins and had a very, very, I think, respectable season. Well, you know, when you win 90 games, I mean, more often than not, you're going to end up in the playoffs. I mean, since they've gone to two wild cards, um, that's been the case for all but a few occasions. So I don't know if I thought they would be that good. I definitely thought they would have 
um, you know, a 500 or better record. I did think that there was that kind of young talent in the system. Um, and it did take time to gel. And, and I know there were probably even more, um, probably naysayers when the team started one and eight and four and 13. And, and, um, especially with all the injuries they had to their pet game. When you consider all the injuries they did have and that there were 200 win teams in their own division, I mean, to get to 90 wins is a pretty good accomplishment, especially with, with 23 kids who were rookies that played at some point. Definitely, and they gave the Yankees a lot of trouble, especially in Tampa. It was like a house of horrors for the Yankees in Tampa. Uh, what did you know? Kevin Cash, I think, is a very good manager. He doesn't get a ton of credit, I think, you know, from the broader baseball uh, landscape, from the broader baseball fan. Talk about Kevin Cash and what he does for that clubhouse. Well, I mean, first of all, I think he provides a great atmosphere, and he allows the players to be themselves. Um, and, and I think he's a terrific communicator. And I think you add all these things up, and that makes a good manager. Um, I think his job is as hard as any um, because, you know, for most teams, um, you know, for, for the upper echelon teams that win 90-plus games, they might have a set plan or they may know seven of their nine starters, and they, you know, exact, know exactly how they're going to carry things. Well, the way the Rays have had to do things, you know, to maximize the resources – I mean, Kevin probably does more managing in-game from the third inning on than any manager in baseball. Um, so I think not only is he terrific at creating a good atmosphere at the clubhouse, but I think he's really, really good in terms of being a tactician. And um, I, I think, you know, because he's having to do it more than anybody and still doing it well, I think it speaks to, you know, just his feel for the game. Right, the the opener. That was like really the trend of, of the Rays last year. They made the opener mainstream, and it sounds like they're doing it again. Cash already announced they're going to go with two openers to start the season. And like you said, he has to do so much in-game managing. He has to uh, select the next reliever to come in, and it needs to work out because the whole argument against bullpenning or using an opener is that there's more opportunities for things to go wrong. So he really needs to pick and choose his matchups carefully. It, it can be where you where you um, are using it more, but I mean, if you look at the way fourth and fifth starters have been, I mean, so many of those guys are kind of five and fly type guys lately. Um, that what the Rays are basically doing is almost just reversing the order to give the guy who goes five a chance to do it against lesser hitters, um, at least comparably. So, I mean, when you're in a division like the Rays are in, where you've got to face, you know. J.D. Martinez, Betts, and Benintendi, or you have to face Judge, you know, Stanton when he's healthy, or whomever it may be because that lineup is just so thick. Um, you'd rather have them face the seven, eight, nine hitters three times than you would the one through four hitters three times. So I, I think especially with uh, what traditionally will be a young pitching staff, it made a lot of sense from a tactical standpoint to give those guys the soccer landing um, possible. I think... You know, I think they've also said all along, if they had a four or five some like the Houston Astros did last year, you know, where you've got Freelander and Paul and Cunders and Pike, I mean, um, and Charlie Morton, then you're able to just roll your five starters out there. And if the Rays get back to that point with some of the young guys that they have on the men, like a Brent Honeywell, um, so be it. But in the meantime, I think they had to make some adjustments. And I think what they found is that, a lot of hitters are uncomfortable having to face a guy who throws 98 to 100 the first inning or two. Um, and, uh, and so, and if you then change that, and then the next guy they face is throwing in the, you know, around 90, 92, and then you go back to someone throwing hard, it, it's more difficult if they're going to face four pitchers in as many at-bats 
um, as composed to as compared to the olden days where you generally got to face that starter three, four times and got a feel for what they could and could do that day and could eliminate pitches. And as they went through the game, it'd have more success. Exactly. And that's the whole, you know, when anyone talks about Joe DiMaggio's 56 game hitting streak, they always say, well, if he didn't get the starter in the first two or three at bats, he was going to get him in the fourth at bat. Well, that doesn't exist anymore for players. And it certainly doesn't exist when you are going up against the Rays pitching staff. Yeah, it, it definitely makes it harder. Um, and, I, and I think what they've also managed to do is, is find a lot of guys who have different looks, but also have the ability to pitch multiple innings out of out of the bullpen. And guys who are flexible and guys who are willing to um, do what it takes to win. Um, you know, I think the, what probably was um, lost early on from a national perspective is, you know, the race could have just said, okay, we'll just bring guys up from AAA, we'll you know, have them through the first five innings, and if they struggle, they'll learn from it, and that's okay. Um, I think that the basic strategy to try and win, you know, I kind of compare it to football. Um, uh, every team doesn't run uh, a two-back high set with, you know, two wide receivers and one tight end. Some teams run three wide outs, some teams run no back, some teams run, you know, um, you know, kind of a hybrids. That, you know, you go to college football, and Army still runs, you know, like a wishbone, or Navy does. So, so I think all of that said, I think basically what the Rays did was they looked at their talent and said, what gives us the best chance to compete in this division as hard as it is? And they mapped out a way and they'll adapt a little way, but I think that's basically what they're trying to do. Is there, was there any sort of backlash from the pitching staff itself? Did, how did the pitchers, oh, no. they, they got fully behind it. And I saw something going around Twitter I think Mark Tompkin tweeted it out. They, the pitchers were wearing a shirt. Openers are, are humans too. I actually thought it was a hilarious <laughs> shirt. So it sounds like the pitching staff is getting behind this whole trend and really you know, coming together as a unit. I, I think it really started last year when Sergio Romo was the guy that they do it. And when a 35-year-old veteran who's close out World Series games is willing to begin a game um, and is willing to be different, I think when you have a lot of young pitchers who – I mean, let's be frank, because of the injuries to Nathan Ovaldi early in the year, and then Brent Honeywell, and then Jose De Leon, and then you had Chris Archer go down, and Jake Faria go down. I mean, if it were not for the injuries, um, a lot of these guys probably would have been in AAA, and I think the thought process was, well, do I want to be in the big leagues, or do I want to be in AAA doing it my way? Of course. Um, and, I think, and, and, and I think the other thing that's important to this is that most of these guys um, who were in Durham, I mean, the Rays had have had it's triple it's a and, and double a teams have been in the playoffs i think multiple years in a row and last year every one of its minor league teams was 10 games above 500 or more um and so i think there's a feeling or expectation of winning and there's a i think a philosophy among the players hey we do what we have to do to win um and i think that you know that there was certainly that buy-in last year and then i think nationally uh, I, I think because um uh, he took over as the Giants GM. He'd been with the Dodgers. There was a lot of questions over the opener. Uh, they were poo-pooed by Madison Bumgarner and Jeff Samarja and, and some others. And I think, um, you know, the Rays basically have said, hey, this works for us. If you guys want to do it your way, that's fine. But, you know, we won 90 games doing it, and we continue to believe in it, and we think that it really helped us win. And I also think having Blake Snell be the anchor of that rotation. He won the Cy Young last year. It was, it was a breakout season for him. He was the best starting pitcher in the American League. So having that guy lead the rotation probably also went a long way. 
it allows you to use your bullpen the way you want to instead of the way you have to. Um, and I think that's why they also went out and got a Charlie Morton, a veteran who's been there and done that. Um, and I think that that will also take some pressure off of Tyler Glass now. Um, I think it's possible over the course of the year that Ianni Chirinos could evolve into, you know, a starter from a, what you would call a bulk guy or a follower that comes after an opener. Um, and who knows about Brent Honeywell, how many innings he'll be able to eat. So there are certainly guys that start um, in the organization. There are guys who are going to come after openers. Um, but I think it definitely begins with a guy who's going to give you a consistent chance to win, um, allows you to manage the game differently on Sundays. And I think having him and Honeywell, I mean, I think it's at work, and hopefully Tyler Glasgow coming around because they've made some good adjustments with them, I think allow them to you know be more aggressive on the two days where they do have openers. I saw a headline that Blake Snell was disappointed in the the salary raise that he got. I think it was you know something like fifteen thousand dollars. Is there any fallout from that? I don't think so. I mean, I think what what I've known and I've known Blake since he was an A ball is that he's a very motivated individual, and if that is used to lead him to greater success, I'm sure that there's probably a feeling, hey, you won the side. You know, I'm sure naturally people are going, well, what can you do for an encore? Are you going to be able to duplicate it? Were you, you know, when there was there some luck involved? You know, was it just your, you know, is that is that what we'll see? Is that is that the best you can do? And I, I think that um, that motivates him. That drives him. I think he's he's a very, very driven individual, and you don't have a year like you did last year without being extremely driven. So whether he equals last year, surpasses it, or slightly below it, um, I think he's still going to be driven and he's still going to have a very good year. And I think he's kind of poised to be able to do that once again. What was the more in contract? It was two years, 15 a year. Is, is, am I correct on that? Yeah. With a, with a third year, I guess, uh, vesting option, depending on how often he pitches over the first two seasons. So, um, for the Rays, that's a substantial. Investment. I was just going to say, you don't usually see the Rays that kind of active in the free agent market. So what, you know, what, drove them you know what prompted that to because that was done fairly soon like quick in the offseason and then you see other guys like Dallas Keuchel Morton's former teammate still a free agent yeah I mean I, I think there are a couple things I mean first of all I think um, Charlie really felt comfortable with this organization he's got he's married he's very close to his family he's got four kids his his home is in Bradenton um, which is about in what an hour less than an hour south of the ballpark um, so, you know, he, he is at home for the regular season. He's at home for spring training. Um, I think it allows him a lot of benefits. I think if, if you talk to a man and, and, and you may have read, I mean, Charlie's beloved wherever he's been, whether it was Houston, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Phillies, all those organizations spoke so highly of his character and just getting to know him over the last month and a half. I mean, I, I can see why, um, you know, he's, he's very, very well respected. Um, and then beyond that, I think that obviously he's coming off the best two years of his career and it's almost like he's a fine line. He's getting better with age. And I mm-hmm. think the fact that he can impact a young staff, um, knows how to win, has been part of a winner. Uh, and this team has won and, and was looking for someone to kind of take them to a next level with the stuff that he has. I mean, mid to upper nineties, fastball, tremendous breaking ball, um, he can have a really positive impact on a young group and kind of stabilize them too. How are do you know how Kevin Cash is going to line up the rotation? Is he going to go Snell one day, Morton the next day, or is he going to use the openers in the middle of those guys because he can sort of bank on them giving him length on the other days to sort of bracket it? 
I think it's going to change over the course of the year. To begin the season, the Rays are going to go with Snell, Morton, Glassnell, opener, opener. And part of the reason for that is because they play seven straight at home against Houston and Colorado. I think this ensures that Snell and Morton pitch four of the seven games against two teams that I, I think are playoff clubs. Um, or if not, they're going to be darn close too. Right? I mean, I think Houston's going to win the West. Colorado has, has, you know, they made the postseason last year. I wouldn't be shocked if they made it again, um, especially after, you know, signing Arenado, so the lengthy deal they did. Um, and then the first road series is in San Francisco against the Giants. So the way that works from a strategy standpoint, they want an opener in two of those three games. And um, by doing so, you can have an opener begin the game. He can pitch the first two innings. If the pitcher spot doesn't come up until the top of the third, then you can pinch hit for the pitcher, and it gives you a chance to use a regular hitter in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe a, a leverage situation where you can take an early lead, um, and now then you hand it off to your, your bulk guy, and you're able to manage the game a lot differently. Um, I think when the Rays first tried... I guess I wouldn't, they wouldn't have called it an opener back then, but there was a National League game where there was a chance of rain. I remember, and I think it was 2015, Steve Geltz pitched the first two innings at Washington and then was pinch hit for it. And I think this goes kind of in that same vein that, um, you know, if you're in a National League ballpark, you might as well take advantage, best take advantage of the rules so that you can have um, hitters hit in all nine spots. See, this is the kind of stuff that I love and I'm being serious. Like this strategy aspect of it, I think is something that the Rays have done so well. They just figure it out. However, however that is, they figure it out. And do you find like the Rays are, you know, they get a bad rap. They, they don't have a huge fan base. I mean, Tommy Pham even had some comments this off season. Like it, it's tough going from such a, a like diehard baseball city in St. Louis to a, a team that doesn't have the same sort of fan base in Tampa. But do you do you notice a contingent of fans sort of getting behind this? Hey, we're the scrappy bunch that's just going to figure it out any way we can. I, I think what what you know, and Tommy actually during that interview, I I, I fell for him because I thought some of it was taken out of context. Um, he As most very headlines highly. are. <laughs> yeah, you know he he said. Um, a lot of positive things. If you look at like our TV ratings or radio ratings, for the organization, they've been very, very high and very, very consistent all the way through. It hasn't translated at the ballpark. I think in part because, um, you know, it isn't necessarily as centrally located as other ballparks within major league baseball. And I think that is a factor. I think also that, you know, you don't have a generational fan base. I mean, in St. Louis, they've had baseball for what, a hundred years right. in New York, they've had baseball for a hundred plus years. And I think that trickle down, is different, especially when you've got other franchises within your marketplace during spring training. And I think it takes time for, you know, a dad and mom move to the area, their kid becomes a raised fan, maybe at 10 or 12 years of age, but they haven't had kids yet. Um, so there hasn't been that trickle down. So, and especially because ownership kind of changed kind of midstream um, in this now 21 plus year history of the organization. So I think all of that takes time. Um, you know, I, do feel there is a strong enough fan base, especially from you know hosting pre and post game shows on radio the last you know seven plus years. Um, I definitely think the fan base is there, and they're they're definitely engaged and interested in this group. And I think they have a lot of reason to be interested in this group for the next um, period, especially not only because of what they come off last year, but you know the most have put them as a top three farm system 
where they really have a lot of talent all the way up and down. And I think that depth of talent um, is going to allow them to kind of maintain this for a bit. So we talked about the the opener, the bullpenning, and all that kind of stuff. Where's the offense coming from? Because that was still they they were below league average in offense last year. Tommy Pham did help out a lot. I think I you know I looked it up. He had a one ninety four OPS plus after the trade, which is phenomenal. So where where are they yeah. going to look for the offense in this lineup? If if you look at the group, the last two months especially, they were they were well above league average, um, and I think that's. You know, Tommy was a big part of that. I think what they're going to have this year is it's not going to be what I would call heavily reliant on a couple individuals. Um, I think it's their depth that's going to be um, a big reason why they're successful. Are they going to be juggernauts like the Red Sox and Yankees who probably are going to be one, two in the majors and run scored again? Probably not. But um, I definitely think they will have, you know, pretty close to a league average offense, which with with a lot of young players who have a lot of potential. I think Willie Adamas has that tremendous growth potential. Brandon Lau has tremendous growth potential. And I think, you know, guys like Joey Wendell and Daniel Robertson are going to be solid contributors. Mike Sanino can be a 20 home run guy. And I think I would say El Garcia the same. And I think, you know, I think Kevin Kiermeyer is a guy who is probably due for a bounce back year. And I think Gene Choi was a surprise contributor last year. Um, but I think now the Rays kind of have good expectations for him, especially against right-handed pitching. And I think um, what they have are a lot of guys who probably can hit in that 10 to 20 homer category. A lot of guys give them extra base hits, run the bases reasonably well, will put the ball in play a fair amount. And I think that combination um, will make them a team that is able to score runs at least when they need to. G-Man Choi, Yankees had him for a hot minute, so Yankees fans know know about G-Man Choi. But you look at the depth chart, like I was looking at the depth chart uh, before this call, and every position has like two or three guys that could possibly get regular playing time. So the lineup, too, is going to be Kevin Cash juggling, playing the hot hand, and that kind of stuff. I think you're going to see a lot of mixing and matching, and I think it's going to allow them to stay fresh for the course of the season. I mean, you may have a lot of guys on that team that end up playing five out of seven days or four out of six or whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, some guys are going to be more heavily against right-handed pitching, some more heavily against left-handed pitching, and then some it may vary based on how they're going. Um, and you're right. I mean, they have a lot of guys, you know, the only injury in spring training has been Matt Duffy and whether his hamstring will respond well enough for him to play um, by the start of the regular season. But there's three other guys who could make the opening day roster and Yanni Diaz, Daniel Robertson and Joey Wendell will all play a very solid third base. Um, and you probably have three guys who can play short and four guys who can play second. And so, and if, and three guys who can play first. So I, I think that they're going to be able to keep guys sharp, fresh. Um, and hopefully that because most of them are also very good defensively, you know, it'll translate to success over the long haul. So final couple questions. What, what to you, in your opinion, is the ideal, but also realistic season for the Rays? Um, I think making the postseason and, and, um, you know, I, I think obviously you're in the toughest division in baseball. Um, I still think, uh, that would mean three teams from the AL East are in the playoffs because, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, don't, look, I mean, I want to get ahead of myself, but I, I don't see the Yankees and the Red Sox or one of those two teams missing at least a wild card spot. Correct. Um, and look, Oakland won 96 games last year. I mean, it's not only a wild card team wins 96 games. Um, and I, I think that, you know, as I look at the Rays, I think that they have improved their club with the additions of Morton, Garcia, and Zanino. 
uh, and the maturity of some players, where I think they're certainly capable of having a better overall year uh, than Oakland this year. Um, and Minnesota's probably going to be tough, too. I think they're going to be better than people think as well. But I think they're certainly capable of that. And if they win 90 games again or more, and, and it's not enough because someone went out with 96, so be it. Um, but I think that probably um, that's maybe not – That's I think that's – you know, from a, a media standpoint, that would be a success. Um, you know, but you also can't predict health. Um, and so right. if this team goes through tragic injuries and wins 88 games, you know, and, and still keeps themselves in it, you know, great. If they're, if they're healthy all the way through and, and they have a subpar season, then that would be disappointing. I think a lot depends on health, but I definitely think they're capable of competing all year long for a playoff spot. Right, you look at 2018, and the the American League had the the juggernauts in at the top, and then everyone else, you know, more towards the bottom. Where the National League had a bunch of teams really fighting for the playoffs towards the end of September, and maybe with some of those teams you just mentioned, the Rays, Oakland, Minnesota, we might get that kind of battle in the American League too. It's certainly possible. You know, I'm I'm curious how it how it goes um, from a you know a balance standpoint. Um, you know, it's definitely not as balanced as the National League, but I definitely would say that probably the three or three of the top four teams in baseball are probably all going to be in the American League this year. All right, last question. We're, so we've, we're having people on from each of the American League East teams, and we're going to ask them this question as the final question. Predict the final standings in the AL East. Um, whew, I would say that the Yankees are probably the team to beat um, right now. Um, and I think part of that is because of the early season schedule and part of that is because of the deepest team. Um, I think, you know, predicting one, two, three is very difficult for me, uh, being in it, but I would, I, I think that the Yankees are the deepest team, um, because they can beat you in so many ways. And as, even though the Red Sox won 108 games last year, I think the loss of Kimberly and Kelly, um, it's going to take a little time for them to adjust to that. Um, and I think also they were probably healthier. I think the Yankees can probably withstand injury better, especially because their first 56 games, I think they play only 13 against teams that had winning records last year. And so for, for that reason, you know, I, I think they have a good chance to get off to a good start, which makes you know, them very challenging if they're able to get themselves healthy. And what about, what about the, the fourth and fifth place? Who do you got in the in that race? I, I think Toronto's going to be better than people think. I really do. Um, I I think first of all, I mean, I know Charlie Montoya. I'm a friend of Charlie Montoya's. Um, you know, I was very, very, very happy for him. As disappointing as it was to lose a guy like that in his um, dugout, um, but I mean, I think eventually you're going to see Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette join a a team that's probably going to play with a lot of energy and 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 play extremely hard. Um, and I think they do still have a fair amount of talent on that group to begin with, you know. Um, so I, I think it, it, I think the key for them is they need Stringman and, and uh, Aaron Sanchez to stay on the field. They haven't had good health from them in a bit. If they do get good health, I think they they have a chance to uh, to be fairly competitive. Yeah, I think I agree with you. So I guess everyone in the AL East is going to be beating up on Baltimore. There are few wins in, in when when you get you guys get to play the Orioles. Well. Uh, well, Neil, and yeah. they go a long way for determining who wins because I mean, if you end up, you know, I think you end up with let's say eleven wins instead of fourteen or fifteen against the team mm-hmm. that is rebuilding. Those three, four games can be a big gap. It's exactly what happened between the Yankees and Red Sox last year. If you looked at their record uh-huh. against Baltimore, the Yankees had I think four fewer wins, four or five fewer wins against Baltimore than 
than the uh, the Red Sox did. And I know it was an eight-game swing, but still, that, that makes a huge difference. No question. All right, Neil, if you guys want to follow Neil on Twitter, he's, he's at Neil Salons. Again, he does pre- and post-game for Rays Baseball. Appreciate the time, Neil. You got it. Thank you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.